and we're live with the Inside the War Room, po- Inside the War Room podcast. Not normally how we do this one, but I sent the link out live, and so here we are. Um, today's guest is a gentleman I have on just south of me, uh, southish, Austin, Texas, Chase Geyser, who is at Real Chase Geyser on Twitter. We'll link to that, and also the host of uh, the what's the One American podcast, right? Yes, sir. Okay, so tell so tell me about the show. I've kind of watched some of your stuff, and I've seen. Uh, I think you've had on some kind of more libertarian guests, which is kind of where I fall at. Um, and so mm-hmm. what's the show? What's the genesis for the show? And uh, what, what got you into podcasting? Yeah, that's um, that's a good question. So I um, actually started the podcast in May of 2021. So just um, about two months ago. And it sort of came naturally out of just a general sense of frustration as a Republican with what Republican leaders are doing and as uh, – as, and how the the party leadership as a whole is um, is doing, and so uh, this is like a small way for me to sort of try to take matters into my own hands and see what I can do to change the way that conservatism and liberty are branded and the way that it's perceived, and try to reawaken an appreciation for Americanism. And basically, all I do on the podcast is reach out to. Um, uh, various influencers from all sorts of different backgrounds who have a general respect and admiration for America and what it means to be American. And, you know, even though not all my guests would agree on uh, the specifics and the details of policy or politics necessarily, there's still that sort of uh, appreciation for self actualization and individualism and bootstrapping and and that sort of culture that I think that um, is sort of being attacked and shamed by the left. And so that's that's what we do. Yeah, so it's it's interesting because if you go back prior to the the Trump era. So I used to be a I don't I think in Texas I'm an independent. I don't know if I'm registered as a libertarian or not. I'm, I'm a member of the LP, but I'm not sure if I'm registered. But um I used to be a Republican many moons ago. Uh, and I left the Republican movement because it felt like um, the, the Republicans, the conservatives, they really don't have, uh, and I'm not saying this about Jews, I want to get into some of, but they don't really have sure. principles. Um, and so I'll give you an example. You know, when you talk about being small government, um, when the Republicans are in, um, especially the top media voices and stuff, they really don't criticize the Republicans for how they handle things, you know, how they expand the government. Um, and, and the conservatives, um, that I, that I will I watch online. Um, they will justify things that are clearly not conservative principles um, because right. their person is in office. And Trump seemed to amplify that. Um, I think Trump did some good stuff. I think it's bad stuff. But and that's I don't know how the, the Republicans and the conservatives, um, which is two different things. Sometimes they overlap, sometimes they don't. I don't know how they move forward because the conservatives. I don't feel like they really understand what they are. I don't know. I don't, they're, they're trying to conserve something, but I'm not sure they know what they're trying to conserve. And the Republicans, you know, <laughs> that's a, that's a horse of different color, <laughs> you know, right. What is a Republican and uh, you know, how, you know, how you define that. And so I, I'm curious, that's why I want to get you on. I, I want to hear your perspective on this stuff. How do you think about it? Cause for me, I had to leave the party with the LP. Now there's, oh, there's definitely a spectrum of libertarians. Um, but the Mises caucus, which is where I'm at is kind of a, a little bit more narrow. Um, I would probably be, um, more of one of the big government guys you know, for the for the Mises Caucus perspective, sure. um, but but the but the kind of the range of the ideas are, are pretty small. So you kind of you're kind of arguing in, in a different platform with conservatism or uh, being a Republican today. It doesn't really feel like there's a lot of grip on what that means. So from your perspective, kind of unpack that for me. 
Yeah, so when I think of a Republican, I think of an establishment party hack. And when I think of a conservative, I think of somebody who's trying to conserve the Constitution and the rights that it protects. <laughs> it's basically as simple as that. And so traditionally, conservatives were sort of branded as, um, you know, those who are kind of morally dogmatic, you know, um, uh, you know, very sort of almost like e like evangelical Christian values, uh, hardline sort of mm -hmm. um, uh, dogma, right? Just like, hey, this is how you need to behave, and this is this is our moral view of the world. And uh, I think the party has moved away from that. Um, not the party, but I think conservatives have moved away from that uh, because I think that a lot of the evangelical dogmatism, and not to criticize evangelicals, okay? So I, I have deep respect for Christianity and, and where it, and its role. But um, I think that, the, frankly, America is becoming a more secular nation. And uh, you can definitely see that over the course of the past 50 years alone, uh, specifically. And I think that as a result of that, the uh, political leadership has um, shied away from uh, propping up uh, Christian-specific ideas and tried to make a more secular argument in favor of sort of the same things that Christianity um, inadvertently supports as well. Things like individual rights, free will, right? These are all sort of Christian va values. I mean, if you really look into the, the root of these ideas in Western culture. And um, so I don't think that conservatives, uh, I don't think that to say conservatives are are morally dogmatic is is true anymore I, I think that i think that those who are are evangelical or or, or, or christian based are still voting conservative voting for republicans consider themselves conservatives in large but i don't think that that is the definition or the brand of conservatives that's not an accurate way to brand conservatism the left I lost you there. I don't know if you can hear me or not, but you are gone on my end. Hmm. Okay, well, the Democrats... Hey, did I, did I lose you for a second? Yeah, you just kind of like spaced out there for like 30 seconds. I don't know. You were... Yeah, I'm not sure what happened. Going, I just kept uh, ranting though, just in case we were live. I'm not sure. No, 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 yeah, that's fine. So let me pick up where you, where you were before you sure. close. Now, I think you hit on exactly which would be the, the problem with conservatism is, um, as, as someone who's not a conservative anymore is, uh, to your point, it was more of an evangelical movement. Now it's not. Right. And it's like, right. So what defines conservatism? Like, they're, they're, what are the principles? And so if you're saying that these are um, secular arguments that you could make, well, well, are they? And so I don't, I don't think, and so I think conservatism is always going to struggle as a, uh, to conserve anything because they're not sure what it is they're supposed to conserve. And so, um, and so, yeah, I think you, I think you're right is that it was evangelical and it's more of a secular movement. Now, the question is that you would ask, and the same thing could be said to libertarians or anyone is, is what is the basis for the, the, um, the morals or, or whatever it is that you're trying to espouse? Um, and so I think that's where conservatism uh, has a hard, a hard task in front of it because it, it doesn't, it's not entirely clear 
uh, what is the basis for its its um mm-hmm. its objection to progressives or to mm-hmm. liberals or to or to Republicans? <laughs> so yeah, it, well. It, it, I think that one of the challenges that uh, conservatives face is that, um, you know, if you're brought up in a Christian environment and you and you have those values and those beliefs in that faith specifically, then it's convenient because a lot of these values, philosophies, ideas and perspectives are like handed to you on a platter. Like you don't necessarily have to do the same like mm-hmm. intellectual exercises that, you know, Thomas Aquinas had to do. Right. Or St. Augustine had to do or C.S. Lewis had to do in order to like logically, you know, convince himself of the faith or back the faith up. And so if if and and that's what Nietzsche said was going to happen philosophically, when he said God is dead, he didn't mean that there was a God and God died. He meant that, holy cow, over the next couple of centuries, people are going to stop believing in God the way that they have. And that's going to create a tremendous vacuum because what do you replace God with if you don't believe in God anymore? And we saw in the 20th century, it was the state, right? With communism taking hold, uh, the Third Reich took hold in a big way. When when God died, culturally, when faith in God died, right? When people stopped believing in Santa Claus, so to speak, then the sleigh wouldn't fly anymore, right? So, so, and I'm not, and I, I'm not an atheist, so I'm not saying this as like a criticism of, of those who are religious. I'm just saying as an observation of society. And so that's why, you know, I, it's one of the inconveniences of the conservatives in, in that, you know, so much of their support was was leaning on the Christian faith, and 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 that their constituents would would still hold that faith in a serious way. And when that starts to be shaken, then it's like, wow, like you know, not very many people have actually read John Locke's Second Treatise of Government, which explains the logic behind private property rights. Like, not very many people have actually thought through the philosophy and the logic for how we look at nature and interpret the morals based on what we see in the universe around us. Like, th- th- there are a whole philosophical studies based on this and you know it's boring for a lot of people and not but not a lot of people study it anymore so the conservatives i think are in this sort of vacuum right now where we have like this intuition that we be, uh, of of what's right and what's wrong but we we don't we no longer have like a um, a satisfying argument for why we believe it so what was your i don't know what your stance is on trump in general but what maybe curious what was your stance on trump and then what was the appeal to conservatives um to trump yeah. So I um um do not agree with Trump on I would probably say over half of the things that he said or did, but I enthusiastically voted for him because he was the only candidate who was a populist and I want a populist leader of America. He was the only one that was just unashamed of what America was and America I believe in the whole America first thing because I think if you're paying taxes to a government, um then they should put your interests first. And obviously, we haven't been seeing that play out. <laughs> but I think, you know, whether or not Trump actually executed on that, there's certainly room for debate. But he at least espoused it. And that's why I supported him. So I think he was a populist. And I think the reason that conservatives voted for him wasn't because he was a conservative, because, you know, he was really a rhino. He's a Republican in name only. He's something else. He's not a Democrat or a Republican. He's something else. Probably just a populist, frankly. But I think the reason that conservatives voted for him is because he was the only damn patriot running for office. <laughs> Well, so I wrote a piece last year talking about the, the the concerns of populism. So populism, on some level, I think um, can do. It, it's very good to put the establishment on notice that the people are frustrated, right? So a populist mm-hmm. leader comes up and it's like, why is anyone voting for this person? And the, the establishment is like, oh, okay, something's changed here. And so Trump did that. And you can see that around the world. 
Um, so I think it's good for that. The, the, the fear of populism is, is that because it is your guy or our guy, uh, then you almost give that person even more rope, uh, rope, rope or latitude um, on the mistakes they make because they quote are our guy. And that to me is the, is the other side of the danger. And so when you look at, um, you know, some of the stuff that Trump did, so like take like China or the EU, I think, I think a lot of things he pointed out about China and the EU were, were pretty, pretty good, pretty, pretty spot on, pretty mm-hmm. accurate, fair critiques to make about us paying for NATO and then wanting to buy the gas from the European, uh, from the Russians. There, there's plenty of things he said that they're right. His solutions, I wasn't always on, uh, in favor of. Um, and that's to me where it seemed like the Trump supporters, um, by and large, because he was kind of this America first guy. He was one of the few candidates that's you know very much proud to be an American type. Um, it kind of gave him a pass almost. And, and that, that's oh, yeah. the slippery slope of the populist movement is that what well, is our guy. So therefore we got to give him a little bit more rope than normal. Yeah. I, I, well, and I think that what we saw with Trump goes to show, um, or highlights another issue that we have politically because, and this is an oversimplification, but it's close enough that it, that it makes sense. I often say that the Democrats win the emotional debate and the Republicans win the logical debate. <laughs> uh, the Republicans, you know, seem to be giving up on the logical debate recently too. So <laughs> it's not perfect, but it's you know, in terms of small government, pro-capitalist, you know, those types of basic staples in the Republican Party, mm-hmm. you know, seem, seem, there's a lot of, you know, Milton Friedman can kick, you know, any communist ass in, a, in an economics <laughs> argument. Okay. So like, this is right. not even a question about whether or not capitalism is better or worse for poor people than any other system that currently exists or has existed. Mm-hmm. Like, obviously it is. But uh, I, I think that with Trump, we saw somebody that came in and it was all brand. Like mm-hmm. the buy-in was so emotional for him that, people dismiss the things that he did that didn't logically make sense. Like, for example, you know, he spent a ton of money, a lot of money, and everything he did was with executive order, right? Mm-hmm. And now Republicans are all hacked off at all the executive orders that Biden's citing and, citing and all the money he's trying to spend. It's like, right. yo, like, what's going on? And, and, you know, and he was too scared during an election cycle to say, listen, we're not going to do mask mandates and he can't lock down businesses. Like, he was too chicken to do it because he didn't want to be accused of having blood on his hands when people died of COVID, right? <laughs> and so, it, but there's, there's basic principles of, like, liberty that the Republican Party is supposed to fight for. And so... Yeah, yeah that, I think you know, people that, gave him a pass for sure. They the, shouldn't have. The, the last year, it, it's so funny, and this goes to just partisan politics. You know, Trump is the one that all that happened under. All of that happened under. And so you have yeah. gas prices that are gasoline prices that are rising now, and a lot of that doesn't necessarily have to do much with Biden. And the Republicans are blaming Biden. He did shut down the pipeline, though. Well, sure, but there's, I mean, we can spend another time on that. I've got. Get plenty sure, of shows. So I didn't mean to interrupt you. I didn't mean. No, sorry. no, no. Go ahead. But I mean, there's, there's, you know, we we, we talked the, the time, but, um, um, but, the, but, but under Trump, all this happened. Trump's the one who mm-hmm. authorized. And I was talking to someone uh, earlier this week, and you know, Trump's problem. Um, he was afraid. Another thing was, he if you go back and listen to some of the stuff he said, he would send stuff to the states, and he would be like, "Well, we're kind of let the states make up their own mind." Of course, there's federal guidelines that were coming out, but then he would mm-hmm. want credit. He was the king of the ventilators. He was this. He was that. And he—he's so he just craved the the applause, the recognition that he couldn't just step back and say, "Okay, New York, call me if you need me. Do your own thing." He couldn't do that. Right. If he would have done that, now the media was never fair to him, so they still would have been unfair. But it'd been a lot easier for him to say, "Guys, I let all the states make up their own mind. 
You make up your own mind, and we'll give you whatever you need to help uh, you know, to help you along your way. But he was so desperate for the attention and for the the, the applause. And then when we listen to you know like the Woodward tapes or stuff, it's like, mm-hmm. man, just it's a little advice. <laughs> if you just take a little advice, you probably would have beat. He beat the worst candidate for president in the history of candidates in Hillary Clinton, and he lost to the second worst. So <laughs> she's, she's so hot, though. <laughs> but I mean, he lost to Biden. <laughs> he lost to Biden. How do you do that? Yeah, yeah. I, I I don't think that anybody voted for Biden. I think that any they voted against Trump. So I think that it was out of hate. Sure. You know, but that says a lot about that says a lot about um, the COVID year. I think I think a lot of people. Um, on the, on the right really diminished how poorly he handled that. And when, you know, all of his stuff, his antics on Twitter, pre COVID, some of them are funny. Some of them are over crossing the line. You know, some of it's like, okay, he's dunking on the media. Someone's like, just shut up. You know, it's kind of back and forth, but in the crisis, people don't want that. They want someone who's serious, who's consistent. They can count on. And he just, he just can't play that role. And that's where he can't do it consistently for a long period of time. And so it was like one day he pops up at a hospital with a mask on. I was like, wait, did you change your mind on mask all of a sudden? Is that, are you a mask guy now? Because like you've never been a mask guy. And so, you know, and I think, I think it just unraveled on him so quickly, but to the point I was trying to get at before, you know, it was under his administration. We lost the, we got non-essential businesses, whatever that means. It was under his administration. You couldn't go to church. You couldn't go to do, um, go to the synagogue. You couldn't go to Walmart. You know, uh, all those things happened under the Trump administration. And I remember telling conservatives that I knew, like guys, if you can't be letting a Republican do this to you, <laughs> how do you argue when a Democrat wants to do it? And so it was astonishing from that that perspective. Well, and I think that um, I'm not trying to make excuses for him, okay? Because I, I agree with you 100 percent in everything you said, and I think he did the wrong thing. But I think under his perspective, he was like, "All right, there's only six months until the election's over. Like I'm going to be able to fix everything." In the next four years, you know, they won't be able to push me around. Because I, I honestly believe, and I, maybe I'm just being naive here. And like I said, I, I'm not a, like 100%. I'm not like a Trumper. I voted for Trump, but I'm not a Trumper, you know, per se. But I, I do think that honestly, had he been inaugurated on January 20th, that um, we'd be in a different America right now than we are. Uh, I, I think he would have reversed a lot of those things. That's not an excuse. I don't think he should have allowed it to happen in the first place. But I think he was trying. I think he was playing the long game, and he's like, "Listen, I need to make some concessions now in order to win the general." And well, it just didn't well, play out, it, uh, right? But see, this and let's just say that's right. That's the problem: is mm-hmm. that if you are a conservative, you have to say it does not matter who's in office. We believe this. We believe the right. first amendment, the second amendment, the third, we believe them all. So Trump, you are wrong. We, 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 we will not vote for you. We will abandon you. Like that's the only way you're going to conserve anything is when the chips are down. You Did you see what Mitch McConnell said yesterday? Oh, about getting the Did vaccine. You, yeah. He's like, get the vaccine and we're going to be back where we were, you know, last fall. And I was like, what the hell kind of Republican are you, man? Like, <laughs> He's like, and I, I tweeted something like, "Hey, there, you know, there's, there's only one party na- party now." You know? mm-hmm. But it's just that kind of. Th- I, that's why I think the Republicans have totally abandoned the constituents because the middle class has shrunk so much in this mm-hmm. nation that the only two ways to really get elected are big donors and programs for the poor. 
mm-hmm. right? Because there's like not this middle class base anymore to go after. And I think that we've seen the Republican Party every cycle just shy further and further away from representing working class Americans and and uh, advocating and just kind of seeking the 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 big donors and uh sort of the naivete of the more principled voter base like just they're just taking for granted that they're going to get the same amount of money from the evangelical base that they've always gotten or the same amount of money from the big donors that they've always gotten and it's it's a big problem man i, I made a video yesterday i don't know if you saw it or not but uh i was looking on the rnc versus uh, yeah, dnc the, uh, website yeah. oh man like they're, they're only hiring six people <laughs> like mm-hmm. one of them's an intern mm-hmm. <laughs> And I'm like, like obviously they don't care. <laughs> They're just coasting, and so I don't know. I'm just disappointed. I hope that a third party comes out of this um, that represents the working class. But I just hope that it doesn't look like the German Workers Party looked when it comes. <laughs> well, so you, you hit on something earlier, which was, um, and I think um, the progressives, just to take them, um, and I'll just make a blanket statement more than anything else. There are a lot of things that progressives say that if you boil it down to the smallest possible <laughs> inference, they're right. Mm-hmm. Um, they, and, and to your point about they, they touch on the emotion, but mm-hmm. um, you know, homelessness. So, can you give me an example, like what you mean? Just so, just so I, I'm, I'm on. The yeah. Same page. Okay. So let's talk about um, let's say maybe systemic racism. Okay. So okay. I, now I don't think to be clear that at the top of the White House in Congress they're like, how do we implement policies that are racist across the nation? Okay. Mm-hmm. I don't think that I do think the war on drugs disproportionately impacts inner city communities, which are mainly you know, African-American or Latino or, wh- or whatever. So from that standpoint, there is something systemic about going on there. Um, and it does, it does impact one particular or two, a couple, couple of particular minorities more than others. Mm-hmm. Is that racism or not? Okay. We can have that debate, but there, but there is a policy that overwhelmingly targets those people. Um, and, and so instead of saying, well, systemic racism doesn't happen, it's like, well, okay, well, hold on. What is it that you mean? Now, if you listen to the AOCs, of the world, you're going to get nonsense. But if you listen to community leaders, they'll reference the war on drugs. Right. That's a great opportunity to say, well, okay, I'm not sure I read the label here, but the policy you're talking about is ruining families and has ruined families since its implementation. And we need to do something with that. And so conservatives yes. just, just want to push back on the, the phrase systemic racism. And I understand kind of why they want to do that, but not listen to what every, why everyone uses that label. And I don't, I don't know what all the different connotations mean, but there are some times where people, especially community leaders, when you hear them talk, they're referring to the war on drugs. And it's mm. like, okay, that is a, that does, that does target people in inner cities who are poor, who are selling drugs. Now, Maybe you agree with the policy, maybe you don't, but I think in that context, you at least have to have a conversation going, okay, hmm, now, AOC, who's out here going to say it you know, for every thing that goes wrong, I think that's a different that's a different talking point to handle altogether. But there are policies like that that I would say that disproportionately impact mm-hmm. people um, that conservatives have to figure out how they want to deal with. Do they want the war on drugs to continue? It expands mm-hmm. the government. Uh, you're locking people up. Um, you talk about uh, middle class um, separation. Well, you're, you're doing that. You're keeping people poor. Um, the conservatives don't really have a, a good answer for that. The progressives um, on the, on, uh, seem to use that as a tool to beat the Republicans over their head with. So I'm not sure. I'm not sure the, the establishment Democrats want to legalize drugs either. To be clear with you, but that'd be one. Um, let me think That's here. Let's talk about minimum wage. Let's talk about maybe immigration. Okay. okay. <clears throat> so during the D- Democratic primaries, and I'll be 
quite honest with you, I don't have a very firm immigration policy. So just to, for, okay. um, I kind of go back and forth on where I'm at. Um, you know, the Democrats were pretty much open border, right? Well, the Republicans are like building a wall. It's like, well, okay, well when you're building a wall, I understand why. Um, but you're also keeping me in the country. Like if I want to leave the wall, the wall works both ways. That's how walls work. They're not one way walls. So you're keeping me in, which is kind of a, kind of a troublesome thing. Uh, on top of that, you're, you're taking people's property to build the wall, which I'm not sure that's really a precedent we want to set to build a wall to take property. Uh, on top of that, you mean, in, you mean prop like eminent domain to in order yes. to actually put the wall on. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Or, or do you mean income tax in order no, no. To for the wall? Well, <laughs> yeah, they're, they're going to regardless. We can talk about that. Right. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> right. Um, um, and so it's like, well, what is our policy towards people crossing the border? Um, the Southern border, you know, do we want them to come in and maybe have a migrant working class where they can come in, they can work. Um, it, you know, what is it that, that we're actually wanting? Because one side saying everyone should come in and you're saying build a wall. It's like, well, Here's it, here's what it boils down to, man. Hmm? It, it it used, in my opinion, okay. So it used to be out of a concern that immigrants would take jobs from Native Native Americans, and I don't mean like Indian Native Americans. I mean people who are born in America, like born in America citizens. That used to be the concern, and right. then I think we just generally realized that, for better or worse, this, this sounds obtuse, but it's not. White Americans don't do the jobs that Mexicans do, frankly. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, when was the last time you saw a white guy on a construction site, landscaping or cleaning a house? Like almost never. Right. And uh, uh, and so, you know, that concern kind of went away. And I think the big issue now that like no one really frames it succinctly, it's 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 about importing votes. So the Republicans are against immigration because they know that the immigrants are going to vote for Democrats and the Democrats are pro-immigration because they know that the immigrants are going to vote for Democrats. Like it's as simple as that. It has nothing to do with economics or jobs being taken or human rights issues because I guarantee you there's no damn way that AOC actually cares about kids being separated from their parents at the border. There's no <laughs> way that she actually cares about that, that. She just knows that the more immigrants that come over the border, the more Democrat votes they're going to get. Like that's that's what this is actually about. It's not about caring about anyone or protecting anyone's rights. It's only about whether or not you're importing a net gain or a net loss on your voter base. That's all anyone cares about. And so we have to ask ourselves as a nation in an unbiased way, okay, do we agree that it's okay to import votes for, for one party or another? Well... Right, so that's what I was saying about the migrant working class, which was people who yeah. come work and not have the not have all the rights of a normal citizen. I see. But I see. Yeah, a, yeah. I'm not saying that's the solution. I'm saying that's a policy proposal that you could make and you, the Republicans could make because uh, I mean, listen, the Democrats aren't begging for people from Cuba to come into to the Florida because of exactly what you said. They don't want mm-hmm. the, they don't want the Cubans to come in because the Cubans vote Republican. So I, I think we agree there. Uh, the problem mm-hmm. is the optics is is build a wall versus separating kids from the uh, from, uh, children for the parents. And so you, you, you play this optic game and the Republicans, um, they're, they're not good at saying, well, listen, we want them to come in and here's options to bring them into the country uh, that are fat, that are, because a, a lot of people, I don't think necessarily want to come in and stay either. They want to come, go back and forth, go back to their home, make a little money. Uh, they're work. just trying to send money back to their family. Right, right. So, so the voting thing is not necessarily on their mind. Uh, it's on, as you said, the politician's mind. But that, so it's mm-hmm. like, well, surely there's a policy compromise in there somewhere that would work out that would allow them to come um here to work and 
you know, in 2021, you can't have these discussions because, you know, everything you say is racist or xenophobic or, or whatever. But if you go look at immigration policies, uh, like in China or some other countries, like it's, you know, ours is pretty, pretty good, comparatively speaking. So I think we have a long way to go before we're, we're anywhere near problematic. Um, but yeah, so those would be a couple of things off the top of my head that I would just say that the Republicans, the conservatives, whatever. Um, well, and I, you know, I, I don't think it should be so hard to legally immigrate here. So I'm like, I'm totally opposed to people, you know, coming across the border. And if they get away with it for a long enough period of time, you know, maybe they just get totally forgiven and just get granted citizenship, which is kind of like what the Dems want to do, right? Let's just make them all citizens, right? Yeah. I'm opposed to that. But I also think it's kind of silly that it takes some people 10 years to become a citizen, right? Like there was a time in the United States and obviously times are different now. And we used to have a very, very empty nation, right, during the Western expansion and everything. But there was a time when you got on a boat, you hopped, you know, you, you you signed in at Ellis Island, and then you know you're basically a hop, skip, and a jump away from voting, you know, being a citizen, right? Yeah. And that's how our ancestors got here. My ancestors came over here in 1893 on my dad's side, right, from Switzerland, and it, it, they they got on the boat, then they they came over at Ellis Island and they moved to Philadelphia and or Pennsylvania. I think they were part of the Pennsylvania Dutch. I don't even know the history very well, but. My my point is like it should be it should it should be hard enough to stop people from taking advantage of the system to immigrate here but it should be easy enough that like any any reasonable person you know that that's going to contribute to society even in the smallest way can do it you know and so i don't know what the solution is i'm not smart enough or well you know i'm probably smart enough but i'm not i'm certainly not knowledgeable enough to well, um to the make those calls. <laughs> would be to get rid of the welfare state um first um to yeah, see yeah because that is a concern that i know that some people have which is they come uh some, some immigrants are coming be a tax in the system and you know what percentage that is i don't know if you if you into the war on drugs i think you kind of um you've got to start putting some of the um the fear of the violent people coming across that kind of goes away to some degree um you know beyond that I, yeah I, I th it's a very complicated problem on some level because um you are you know, to your point about, you know, how, how hard should it be? You know, I, I don't know. I go back and forth on that as well, because mm -hmm. do you, you know, if, if I were going to move to, let's just pick China, cause it's a very different culture. If I were going to move to China, should I be forced to learn certain things about Chinese culture before I can become a citizen there? Now you can't become a citizen there, but, but should oh, I? Yeah, you should. Right. Right. And so, so it's like, well, how, how hard or easy do you make it? That's in, in you know, how much of the culture do you have to at least have, you know, those are questions that, yeah, even a simple policy like, all right, you can have citizenship if you can pass an advanced English exam. You know, I don't want to sound like Jim Crow, but like I would be, I would make that compromise. I was like, listen, if you're an illegal immigrant in the United States and you can actually have a conversation that makes sense at above an eighth grade level in English, then you know you you can become a citizen. Like I don't, I don't think that's the the, the right answer, but mm -hmm. holy cow, is that like a leap forward? You know what I mean? Because a lot of our problems are we have a lot of kids, you know, as a result of this illegal immigration, we have a lot of kids who are American citizens because they're born here to illegal parents that are speaking English as a second language and then they struggle in school, right? Especially in inner city areas and stuff. And so, like, e even that small adjustment would have a drastic long-term positive impact on, on like, uh, on immigration policy and, and, the, and the effects yeah, so of you're, it. Yes, you're saying this kind of cut all the red tape and just bullet down to this one simple hurdle um, which is, you know, learn English at a you know middle school level or whatever it is, and then everything else kind of to the side. If you can do that, you're good.
Yeah, and that's just me shooting from the hip, right? Yeah, so like one day, you know, this is this clip's going to come out, and everyone's going to be like, "Chase is an idiot because X, Y, Z," and they'll be right, okay? But it's just, well, just you know, shoot from the hip. Like, why aren't we just thinking about creative ways to address these issues? Well, and, that's, and, and that's you know, we had a um, a lady on who's writing a book on the border. We had a good conversation, and this is what I told it was I said that 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 podcast I'm here is that it's so disheartening today because no matter what you say, if you say the wrong thing, man, you are labeled. Either you know some open borders liberal or some xenophobe, and and you're, you know mm-hmm. this is just it's not a a okay. You can make it a very simple issue, okay. Open borders or closed borders, like you can make it very simple, um, mm-hmm. which is you know the two extremes. But anytime you start getting that gray area, there, there's just trade offs. There are just trade offs, and um, you know how you rank those trade offs is is hard to conceptualize. A and then B, can you think through all the implications of the trade offs, and you know you start getting through that, and it's like hmm. And then you take yourself and you put yourself like in a different context. Like I said, moving to China, it's like, well, you know, what what should be the requirements if, I, if you if you just reverse the roles? Um, and then you think about the fact that you've got people in object poverty in Central America who are starving to death, and how desperate they are to get here. And you know, the last thing that I want to do is is keep them in poverty because we've got some crazy rules. So yeah, it's did you ever see the uh, did you ever see the gumball video about immigration? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've seen it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The TikTok, so ba- basically, basically, the gist is there's no way that we can immigrate. We can we can immigrate away poverty, right? And right. because if, when you see it visualized like that, you're like, holy cow! There, we can't import everyone that makes less than a dollar a day because there's sure. just not enough square right. footage in this nation, right? And so, ultimately, like even even if we have the most compassionate, empathetic approach which is basically what the the Democrats espouse that approach, even though I would say that they do it for their own selfish purposes, right? Like we discussed earlier to get votes, but even if, even if we actually feel that way, right, the solution is still not to just allow them to come here. And Uh, I don't know what the solution is, but you you have to solve the problem there. Like think about all these countries, man, that have like an astronomical amount of natural resources, like just the sheer amount of geography in Russia alone or China alone, right? Like there's, there's, fresh water there are precious metals there's all sorts of of natural resources that are astounding in these areas yet they still see poverty and it's because they don't have systems that protect private property rights like that's in my opinion that's the reason that america has been successful is because you can invest in something with the expectation that the mob isn't going to steal it from you <laughs> well now you, you know or you could <laughs> you know or that's a little but yes yes now you can um so our listeners go back to episode 33 uh we did have on um uh, the lady about the immigration stuff, so you can kind of hear her perspective on it as well. If you want to kind of a, a more broader on that, but to your point, you cannot import to fix the, the immigration problems. Agreed. The second thing I would say is that um, you know you talk about Honduras, Nicaragua, the countries I was thinking of specifically, right in there. You look at the poverty and you just go, "There's no." If you go there and you walk away thinking, "I would ever expect someone to live in that," that's the hard part. No, you can't import to fix it. I agree. Um, which means that their governments had to be held accountable as well for all the corruption and all, the, all which you're alluding to. They had you had to hold their governments accountable as well. It's a very multi-pronged process that um, that I agree that it's it's um, tons of issues involved. Unfortunately, it's no easy right. No and, easy. Well, and the challenge with that is if you, if you start trying to think of ways that we can solve those problems, then you very quickly move away from like America first principles. Because, you know, you start thinking about like, okay, is there foreign aid or do we send in like consultants or because you because as human beings, we want to solve problems. Mm-hmm. We think like that, you know, and, and ultimately the question is, you know, it, it, it's kind of like, you know, being on the lifeboat on 
on the on the on the Titanic. Like sort of, you're you're glad you're there, but you're also an asshole because somebody else is drowning <laughs> because of you. You know, right. and I feel like a, a, the United States is sort of in that position where it's like, man, things are great here relatively. It, you know, it is a lifeboat, so it kind of right. sucks. But but you know, things are great here, and we want to try to get as many people you know in the in the lifeboats as possible. But you know, we're worried that if we go back too soon, that the boats will get swarmed, right? Which was a real concern that they had well, yeah. uh, on the lifeboats. And so you know, ultimately, the problem is there's just not an enough boats for everybody to, to uh, survive the, the shipwreck that is international geopolitical climate. <laughs> so when you say America first, you, you yeah. unpack that for me, kind of uh, what all does that bring to mind um, from your perspective? To me, the number one thing that comes to mind is foreign aid. Like when they passed the um, uh, COVID relief bill mm-hmm. and like, you know, a, a vast no- amount of it just was foreign aid. It's just stuff like that. So when I think of America first, I think, okay, so we have American citizens, and then we have leaders that are elected by American citizens, and then those elected leaders pass laws or pass tax laws, so so the government is funded through tax by citizens, and then the government gives that money or spends it like internationally. Uh, or, or, or provides aid internationally when we have plenty of domestic problems that need funding or resources or programs, right? And so it's just a very simple, it just seems like, it seems like um, sort of a scam to not be America first from a leadership perspective because it's like, why are you giving X number of billion dollars to Turkey or like some random country? Mm-hmm. And it's like, you know, what political incentive does a politician have to vote to provide aid to a third country? Like, like these politicians don't do things out of the kindness of their heart. Nobody does things out of the kindness of their own heart. That's why capitalism works because it brings the most good out of selfishness as any other system, right? Like Milton Friedman classically said, do you think people aren't greedy in Russia? Do you think people aren't greedy in communism? People are greedy everywhere. That's, that's the deal. The only difference is capitalism actually creates some sort of good out of that greed, right? Like the reason that everybody can afford to have a car is because Ford wanted to make as much money as possible. So he thought up the assembly line or at least used it. I don't know if he thought it up. A lot of those guys stole ideas, but. The point I'm trying to make is America first to me is you, is is doing what's best for Americans before doing what's best for the world. Okay, so then to so I hear that, but I don't know how you implement that. Um, so, for instance, um, mm-hmm. you know when you when you could argue that going back to your point about the about the immigrants. Um, and we will be doing what's best for America, which would be abolishing the minimum wage um, and allowing yeah. income workers to come in, which would be the best for Americans, which would be counterintuitive by the by the perspective, though. So, yes. Right. And, and I think I agree with you on those points, but I'm not I haven't I haven't thought through it thoroughly enough to yeah. comfortably say that. Yeah, but so, probably. Yeah. <laughs> like just your, your 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 foreign policy um, spending. OK, agreed. We, we waste a bunch mm-hmm. of money. In the Fed, like that would be the solution. There. Oh yeah, there's no doubt that the Fed sucks. Come <laughs> on, man. That's like, okay. If if America first means in the Fed, I'm in. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah, definitely, dude. There's no dude. There's no greater sin. You know, you want to talk about racist policies? Inflation is the number one racist policy ever because it disproportionately impacts minorities more than any other policy. It's mm. it's a poor tax, right? Like yeah. if you look at if you look at the black community in the United States, like pre abandonment of the gold standard, 
they were, you know, they were modest. They were getting by modestly, but they were getting by. Like, you know, you think like nuclear family, you know, mm-hmm. uh, parents are married, Christian values. I mean, you look at the protests alone from the civil rights movement in the 60s, and they're all wearing suits. I mean, they're getting hosed down by firemen and they're wearing suits, mm-hmm. you know? And then you look at the protests today and it's like, who the hell are these guys? Like, it's you know, like the way they're dressed, the way they carry themselves. And my point is, when inflation hit, as soon as inflation hit, that's when you started seeing those communities turn into hell. And it was because, in my opinion, communities that were barely getting by before inflation, when the value of the dollar declined by 10%, that put them over that threshold. So now instead of working one job, you've got to work two so your kids never see you, right? Mm-hmm. Or maybe, and then your kids never see you, so maybe they get involved with the wrong crowd or they turn to crime or they dabble with drugs like this. I'm against the drug war. I think it's a huge problem. And I don't think that, I don't think it was designed to um, disproportionately affect minority communities, though I think that's what happened. Uh, sure. uh, but I'm, to- I'm totally against the drug war. But you, I don't think the drug war would have been a problem if uh, those communities weren't just so broke. Well, okay. So, yeah, you get into a, there's a, yeah, it's a can of worms. Sorry, man. No, 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 no. It's, it's just there's there's a lot of tangents there. Um, it, so we, while I'm talking about the war on drugs um, and kind of the impact on communities, I just kind of I try mm-hmm. to keep it somewhat simple because you know what's going on in Miami is different than Detroit and you know all this stuff. Um, right. There's a lot of a lot of factors involved. So the, the simplest way that I, I I deduce the war on drugs impact on the family is um, you know Bob is 19. And he goes down and gets little Tommy, who's 13, to, you know, sling whatever he's doing um, because he knows that little Tommy will go to juvie. Okay. So um, little Tommy goes to juvie a few couple times. And then by the time he becomes 18, he is kind of a hardened criminal already. And then, boom, he gets busted into real court. He can't get a job, doesn't go to college. He's been missing school. So all of us, and so, so you kind of compound the problems. Um, through the war on drugs there, you've had many encounters with the police. So your view of the police is bad. Uh, we can talk about the police in a second, but your, 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 your general dispensation to, towards them is not, is not positive. Um, and so then you, you've kind of deconstructed the family by putting capitalists, which let's be honest, is capitalist is what it is. It's just capitalist market. It's, it's the drug market. You've put that. Sure. But the problem is, is you put the worst of capitalism on display, which is the black market, right? Because the black market that's the worst of capitalism. Um, and so, because there are no rules, the rules are what you, what you determine them to be um, because you can't get protection from the state. And so, you know, you, you take that into these inner cities and it just wrecks shop on them. And then of course you, if you listen to uh, kind of some of the, the counties and whatnot, talk about the funding that they get for the war on drugs. It's, it's unbelievable how much money they get. So anyways, so that's kind of the impact on the, the local, um, Communities there, which is what I'd say. Um, you know, inflation obviously you know, exasperates that. Um, you know, mm-hmm. there's other policies that come out that exasperate that as well. So there's a, there's a confluence of events. I think that that impact them. Inflation sure. is definitely is definitely one of them. Um, you know, if you get rid of the war on drugs, would it fix all the problems? No. If you get rid of inflation, fix all the problems? No. It's it's not a singular issue. But it, it might, is, man. It might. If you fixed inflation, that you'd see a lot of changes. I don't know if it would fix all. I would obviously know one thing is going to fix every problem. But if you were able to, if you were able to stop inflation, and and I don't mean deflation because deflation is a problem too. But if you were able to stop inflation at least at the rate that it's happening, and I think it's underestimated or underreported. Oh, it's various definitely It's definitely yeah. <laughs> if you were to stop, if you were to stop that, I think that you would have you would see incredible positive outcomes over the course of a generation. I think so, but I think you know. 
the libertarians, I'll pick on libertarians here for a minute. I think the libertarians had to be careful that, you know, the world is not just dollars and cents. You know, there's morality. There's all these other things that are attached to the world community. Yeah, um, and so, um, you know, you can see people who thrive in economic poverty because they have other things outside of the dollars and cents. So I'm not, I'm not entirely sure that those good point. Are, are strictly dollars and cents. So inflation would help definitely. Um, um, but I'm not, I'm not hundred percent sure that would that fix the pro- all the problems. Can we, can, can we, can we at least start there? Let's start with any of the world drugs. Let, yeah, let, let, yeah, either one. That's fine. We just we have a, like ending the Fed is that's a hell of a good step. So okay, in all honesty, I'm gonna get a bad libertarian here. I would not yeah. end the Fed tomorrow if I could. I would not. Oh end no, 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 no! You got to do that very carefully. Right. It's like it's first. like taking apart a it's like taking apart a time bomb, man. You got to know what wire to cut when, otherwise the whole thing's gonna blow. Right, right. Yeah, exactly. I'm with you on that. Exactly. Man. I'm totally with exactly. you on that. Yeah. I, I, I'm not wanting to conserve. I'm not wanting to conserve it. But it's just slowly. Yeah, it's a time. It's a good way to think about it. It's a bomb. You got to take it apart, kind of piece by piece. Because mm-hmm. if, if you ended the Fed tomorrow, uh, the economic fallout would be. It'd be awesome, though. <laughs> well, like anybody with ammunition would immediately become the equivalent of a millionaire. Yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> where you're at in the world, where I'm at in the world, I, I don't know. <laughs> I'm kind of out here in the country. You know, the purge won't get me for a long time. Oh if the, yeah, if the world, if the if if the crap hits the fan, I'm I'm coming right up to you, man. We're hanging out. We're well, moving on. in. I'm gonna bring my baby and my wife and my dog. Well, I've got four. <laughs> I've got four kids, my own, and a wife and a dog. So we'll be crowded. But come on. Oh yeah, yeah. I'll bring I'll bring my ammo. We'll be cool. <laughs> there we go. Okay, so let's, I know we're getting close to the end here. So let's let's talk about looking ahead. So okay, you know, you've got we're almost in August now, right? Which is crazy to think about. Yeah. Um, the midterms will start. <laughs> Excuse me. Um kind of the race for the midterms start here in just a few months, people kind of jockeying for position, ready to roll. You know, what's your outlook for 2022? Do you think that can the Republicans take back the house, maybe the Senate or will the Dems hold on? If you were to ask me that day before yesterday, I would have said, there's no doubt in my mind that we were going to take the house and the Senate. Mm-hmm. But after I looked at the six roles that the RNC is hiring for <laughs> yesterday, I think we, <laughs> You have no hope. No, no. I mean, seriously, the RNC is hiring for the same roles and in the same number of open positions as like the Wendy's down the street from my house. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I remember I watched that video. You have to we had to find on uh, Twitter. It's like a two minute video. You gotta go through the positions, and it's like, Oof, you kind of like. Yeah, the whole video is twelve minutes. I did the whole rant on YouTube, and and mm-hmm. I lost it a little bit. I'm not usually an angry person. Mm-hmm. But I, I just like couldn't believe it because I mean, all this stuff that's happened in the past year is just so outrageous in terms of like liberties being violated, very questionable elections. Like regardless of whether or not the election was a fraud, like it's you still have to admit it's a major problem that half the country like thinks it is, mm-hmm. and it's not because they're all stupid. Mm-hmm. It's because there's reason to doubt because nobody trusts any of the systems in place anymore, right? Because you know nobody trusts the media, nobody trusts the government, and so there's all this crazy stuff going on, all this economic, political, criminal turmoil going on, and the RNC is hiring six positions, one of them an intern. <laughs> well, you know, come on, it, 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 it's funny to hear you say that because I was on this panel the other day, and um, I was bringing up um, the other panelist was from. Um, kind of uh, the Appalachian Mountains, close to where a lot of the opioid stuff originally started. And he was talking about just kind of the impact locally. And I said this for perspective to the 
to the, the people. It was it was a it was a close events. I can't say the names, but anyways, I was like, hey, for perspective, down here in Texas, this is how this looks because we're talking about the role of media. Um, mm-hmm. I hear opioid breakout is terrible. People are dying. Big pharma is the worst. Prescription drugs. Okay, that's what I hear. Then COVID nineteen comes out, and it's get your shot, get your shot, get your shot. Big pharma is great. They saved us. The media never once stopped to tell me when big pharma stopped being bad to when they start being good. Now, I'm not trying to take a stance on whether you should get a vaccine or not. I'm simply saying when you go to the the Trump years, you have years of the, the election was fraudulent. The Russians meddled, all this stuff. And then Trump loses and then people don't trust the election. And the media's like, well, how can you not trust? It's like, guys, do y'all not read? Do you not read what you put out? And this is just... If you're a Martian landing on the planet and you're just observing here, surely you could see that you tell people for years not to trust Big Pharma, not to trust the elections. And then all of a sudden you say, trust the elections, trust Big Mm -hmm. Pharma. And then you're mad at those same people for never explaining how maybe you overtold this one story back here. Or maybe you were right, but you changed your opinion on Big Pharma or elections. You, You never stop and just say, hey, this is what we're saying. This is what we're saying now. These two things look to be in opposition. This is why we want to synthesize them for you because we can understand how you, person who doesn't follow the news like we do, might be confused. To me, that's the biggest frustration of all right now, of, of all the media stuff that we're living in, is that the media, they continue to go from narrative to narrative and never stop and explain the difference between what they're saying six months ago or two years ago to what they're saying now and why that might cause uh, tension in the country. Yeah, well, and I think it just goes to show that their job isn't to report the news anymore. It's to prop up a narr- prop up the political narratives, right? Um, and there's a number of reasons for this, some of which are clearer than others. But, you know, part of it has to do with the conglomeration of, of media. I mean, if you look at the chart of the number of, um, like, corporate media outlets from 50 years ago versus now, the there was you know there were a few, first there was a few media outlets and then there were many and then those many got consolidated and acquired and now there's a conglomeration and so uh it's, it's we're not what we're seeing today is not a whole lot of independent um uh journalism going on where people are actually trying to discover what's true it's it's a lot of uh peddling and pandering and it, uh, some of it has to do with the click economy in terms of just, you know, reporting whatever can get the most clicks. But they have no concern for any sort of consistency or logic because they're not in the business of being true or convincing of the truth. They are in the business of driving as much reliable traffic as possible for ad revenue. And um, we're seeing how that manifests in the market. And that's why we see so much hypocrisy. So, you know, the only cure to it, in my opinion, is for... Uh, the people to realize it and just not participate. I mean, almost like a boycott. Like I don't, I don't click on links that I don't click on, on um, headlines that piss me off. Like if I see a headline and I'm immediately frustrated, I won't click on it because I know that they made money if I click on it. So, right. You know, you just have to, yeah, as a consumer, you have to make some ethical choices, I think. Yeah, that and, <clears throat> excuse me, I think we had to get to a point where we realized that every opinion is not um, is not just the end of the world. You know, you can have different opinions, and we have to just we have like okay, the political elites 
I don't care. You can say you're about those people. Like, I have no problem with that. So, you know, uh, Cruz, AOC, Biden, Trump, like, feel free to go after those people as much as you want. I really don't care. But the person-to-person level, you have to just be able to talk to people and hear what they're saying, yeah. what they want. And, it, and, and, and not just assume the worst motivations of people. And that's, to me, where we've really lost it. And I think Trump's uh, plays probably a bigger role here um, um, than, than maybe someone to admit, which is, you know, he was so good at coming in and kind of give people names and people would laugh at him. And he was really funny. Rocket Man. Yeah, right. The Rocket Man. And so it's like, oh, that's so funny. You know, no, most of are as good at it as, as he is, but they'll do Sleepy it. Sleepy Joe. Yeah, Sleepy Joe. But then now you'll see that the people were trying to do what he did and they're not as good at it as he was. Um, right. Whether right. he was supposed to be doing it or not, it didn't, you know, this is a side. He was actually kind of halfway good at it. Most people aren't as good at it. And so now we've got to relabel everyone um, and you know, try to give him a name or whatever. And, it's just like I was watching, uh, not watching, reading the um, the bulwark the other day, and they were calling Roy Gold, uh, Roy, uh, God, the Congressman Texas. Um, I can't remember. They called him something, something Goldfish. And it's like, yeah, that's not funny. Like that's just not. That's just like y'all are stupid. That's were not- they attacking his memory? If they were attacking his memory, then it was kind of funny because Goldfish yeah. had a three second memory. No, that, yeah, that was his memory. But it's just, yeah, it was something. <laughs> But even when you read the piece, yeah, yeah, it's got to be good. Like it's like offensive jokes, right? Like you know, people are always worried about like comedians getting uh, canceled and stuff for what you know, making an inappropriate joke. And it's like my theory on it is: listen, the more offensive a joke is, the funnier it has to be. Like mm. if it's funny, then let it roll. But like mm-hmm. you can't just make a Holocaust joke that like it better be hilarious. <laughs> you know, you're stepping out. <laughs> I won't be making right. it, I'm funny. I won't be making any jokes. So I'm, I, I'm not funny enough to make a Holocaust <laughs> joke, but you know somebody might be. Yeah, maybe, <laughs> my, well, I'm gonna have to reset my camera real quick. Sorry, it froze. Oh, go ahead. I'm, I'm still here. I can still hear you. And everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, 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 it's fine. Uh, yeah. So we'll, we'll <laughs> I will leave the uh, the Holocaust jokes to people who are far more. Uh, yeah. <laughs> professional comedians can can, can oh, co- oh come on ryan try one no no no, no. I'm, 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 i'll get enough trouble as it on my own as it is so uh okay fine so um that's a good way to wrap it up <laughs> yeah <laughs> feels like it's time now so um okay tell people again uh your twitter handle is at at real chase geyser r-e-a-l-c-h-a-s-e-g-e-i-s-e-r and the podcast is one american podcast with an n on the end of america so not to be confused with One American News Network, it's One American Podcast. Yeah. I was wondering about that. I was wondering. Yeah. I, I thought I saw that on there. Okay. okay. And the, the way I came up with the name of it was, you know, when people ask me if I'm a Republican or a Democrat, I just like to say I am One American. And so, because um, I don't like to be associated with groups. Maybe it's the libertarian deep in my soul, but that's One American Podcast is what it is. All right. And that's on all the way. I know it's on YouTube. It's actually a podcast as well. Audio. Yep. Everywhere you can find it. Oh. Yep. I do more content on my YouTube than I, than I publish. Um, on audio like sometimes i'll do quick live streams and stuff that i won't like put out as an official mm-hmm. episode so mm-hmm. if you want to catch all my content follow me on youtube uh but if you just want to hear like the main episodes in full then uh you know spotify anywhere apple google it's all there okay all right listeners and thank you for that chase for coming on and we have um paul sullivan coming on next so we'll get that out oh it's today wednesday today's wednesday so we'll get that out by the end of the week and we'll talk right. to you then Thanks so much for having me. It was great to be on the show.